today we have a very meaty subject for our listeners, don't we? That's the wrong word choice given what we're going to discuss next. Cannibalism, murder, body parts. Wait, you did that on purpose, didn't you? <laughs> I did, yes. But I'll just pretend it's the language barrier because English is not my native um, tongue. <laughs> I'm sensing this episode's going to have some bite to it. <laughs> friends hope you've had a great week so far hi tyler how are you today hi sandra and hello to our listeners i'm doing great so far but i'm kind of dreading today's subject matter it's dark it is i mean it's not 50 shades of gray it's straight pitch black not just dark satan's asshole kind of black (laughs) (laughs) well here at doobie as we deal with Let's say the dark side of humanity. The topic we're going to discuss today is very disturbing. So on this note, let's let our people know that for this episode, listener discretion is advised because we're talking cannibalism, dismemberment, murder, and the whole assortment of sick things. So today we're going to discuss the case of New York City police officer Gilberto Valley, who was charged in 2012 with conspiring to kidnap, torture, cook, and eat over a hundred women, including his young wife and the mother of his child. Wait, a hundred women? Not to defend. But that is a crazy number. Like, nobody can actually believe anybody else is going to kidnap a hundred women one by one and never get caught. I mean, this guy is also a cop, which makes it all even more disturbing. It seems a bit insane to think he would believe kidnapping a hundred women is feasible. Which, to an extent, makes me think his fantasy defense was, you know, maybe legit. But then again, the more you look into this case, the crazier it gets. True. I mean, the way he described in detail what he would do to the victims and the fact that he sent photos of his wife and friends to other degenerates online, and we'll get into that, and the fact that he used the police database to track down potential victims, all of that makes me think he was going to act on this fantasy. I feel the same, but despite the accusations and all these words and terms that make the hair stand on the back of our necks, like kidnapping, torture, dismembering, cooking victims, baking them in the oven, the fact is he didn't actually do any of these things. The 28-year-old cop said he just fantasized about it all in a fetish site called darkfetish.net. On the other hand, the prosecution said he did more than that, and they tried to prove that he took the fantasy further into reality by executing a series of what we call overt acts. What's an overt act from a legal standpoint, Tyler? Well, Gilberto Valley was accused with conspiracy to kidnap, kill, and cook his potential victims, right? Right. An overt act would be something, an action a person accused of a crime would do to suggest that they're going to actually do that crime unless something stops them. A conspiracy charge allows you to move that line further back. If you and I talk about doing something horrible together and then we do one overt act, we can be prosecuted and put in jail. The overt act can be a crime itself, but it doesn't have to be to qualify as an overt act. So if you want to rob a bank and you steal a car to go rob a bank, stealing a car would be an overt act, right? Exactly. But also the overt act can be something that is entirely lawful otherwise, but it might have some special significance for example our boy gilberto talked in his chats on this website about using chloroform to disable his victims in fact he said he already had it which he didn't he then googled how to make chloroform on its own googling how to make chloroform is not unlawful but in this case in this context it can be interpreted as a special meaning as being an overt act and as expected the prosecution argued among other things that googling chloroform is an overt act Obviously, while this is appalling, let's be honest here, that's not an overt act. 
I don't think. But also, it could be. I agree. It could and could not be an overt attack. That's the thing. I can see both sides of the argument here, but I'm leaning towards it wasn't. Now, there was a case of a guy who got radicalized online by uh, extremist Muslims, and he drove with another radicalized body to Texas, so he crossed state lines, armed to the teeth, to commit a mass shooting. Now, the target of this attack was an event taking place in a conference center, uh, and this happened back in 2015. A free speech advocate was holding a contest, offering a cash prize for the best drawing of the Prophet Muhammad, whose depiction is considered sacrilege by most Muslims. I think I remember. The problem was that an FBI agent had been in contact online with these two guys. The FBI agent was posing as a fellow extremist, and he was also there at the scene of the planned shooting. He was taking photos of the assailants in the parking lot to create evidence for the overt act. And people were pissed off that the FBI didn't arrest and imprison those men before they even left their homes and even blamed the FBI for setting them up. But the FBI did everything by the book. They made sure security outside the venue was heavy. There were dozens of police, a SWAT team, and even snipers. That's why nobody except the two terrorists died, because as soon as they started shooting, they were taken out. Right, that's the thing. You can't arrest people for thoughts or plans, right? You have to have as many overt acts as possible so that the case sticks in court. Otherwise, it's thought police and it's unconstitutional. And in this particular case, that's why the FBI couldn't arrest them, because it's legal to drive to Texas, it's legal to have guns in America and cross the borders with guns in your car, and until you actually start shooting that gun in a public place, you can't really be arrested legally in Texas. So don't get me started on gun laws in America. (laughs) (laughs) I won't. But in our wannabe cannibal cop case, an overt act would have been going to an online store on the dark web and actually buying the chloroform. Then going to Home Depot and buying the rope or knives or duct tape, a a giant oven, because his main fantasy, as far as I understood, was to cook a woman whole, like roast her alive, so even a small oven wouldn't (laughs) have sufficed. Actually buying the supplies needed to put his plan into action, then going and stalking the potential victim, and actually trying to kidnap her or trying to get inside the house, that to me would have been an overt act that shows if he isn't stopped, he's going to kill someone. Exactly. And we'll go over some of this guy's sick conversations with other wannabe cannibals online and how he got caught having these conversations, the aftermath. We'll discuss the whole thing in detail. But the reason why this story is so interesting, I think, is that the cannibal cop raises a big question. What's the line between thought and action, between fantasy and crime? It's a gray area and a slippery slope, potentially. And if we cross that line from a legal standpoint, we're in thought police territory. Remember, there's no victim, there's no harm done, so the question at the time of the trial of the cannibal cop was, is there enough evidence to show there was an overt act? Should Gilberto Valley have been imprisoned for the rest of his life? This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. You know what I always say, right? You can't ignore your trauma and hope it disappears. The only way forward is to deal with it. Life keeps throwing curveballs at all of us. Fireballs, spitballs, too many balls. And when you're overwhelmed, you're not at your best and it affects your interactions with the people you care about. So how do you deal with it all? Call your therapist like I do. Yes, you be friends, I'm a better help, happy customer, been using their services since way before we even started this podcast. I can attest to the fact that Sandra is now, let's say, a much lovelier person to be around. <laughs> oh, shut up. Also, my therapist will love hearing that. 
With BetterHelp, you can tap into a network of over 25,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. If you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's convenient, it's affordable, it's flexible, and most importantly, it's entirely online. And you'll get 10% off your first month if you sign up at betterhelp.com dubious. Yes, and then you can talk to your therapist whenever and however you feel comfortable, whether it's via text, chat, phone, or video call. If your therapist isn't the right fit for any reason, you can switch to a new therapist at no additional charge. So do yourself a favor, take care of your mental health, because when you feel empowered, you are prepared to take on everything life throws at you. Visit betterhelp.com dubious to get 10% off your first month or click the link in the episode notes. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash dubious. The prosecution was saying that all of Vale's Google searches were overt acts. He googled how to kidnap a girl, recipes for chloroform, knives, pots and pans, like he googled all <laughs> kinds of crazy shit. But the idea that the Google search would constitute an overt act is dangerous. That's where you get into thought crime territory. Exactly. When we think of thought crime, George Orwell's 1984 comes to mind, right? Well, there is mind reading AI out there already, as you well know, and that AI can tell what you're thinking. At this moment, that AI needs about 16 hours to map a person's brain and analyze how synaptic connections work for that specific person. And then about six hours later, it can tell what the person is thinking. So far, it's being used for good at the children's hospital to prevent suicides in teens. And the technology is lit as f but insane at the same time. In a year, it will need half an hour to read you, and in two years, it will be probably reading your mind in real time. Imagine that type of AI falling into the wrong hands, like totalitarian leaders or terrorist groups. Ooh, we should do an episode about AI. It's a huge and fascinating subject. Totally, I'm all in, especially since you studied computer science and you understand all this stuff much better than I do. So let's write this idea down in our episode list. Now, speaking of AI, I don't know if our UB friends here know, but all our episode graphics, which we post on social media, is AI-generated, actually. And about the Google searches in this case, now back to the story. Uh, Google might know more about us, more about you, than your friends. The stuff you type in that search bar is super personal, right? I mean, you wouldn't share it with all your family over Thanksgiving dinner, would you? <laughs> so when you look at it this way, one could argue, in fact, I am arguing, that Google searches are an extension of the thoughts we have in our heads, in a sense. Yes, and while Google searches can be used in court as, let's say, context, when it comes to overt acts, a Google search on its own is not one. I agree. If I search on Google, how can I kill someone using an axe, and then I go buy that axe and kill someone, in this context, it can be considered an overt act. But if I just Google how can I kill someone with an axe, I go buy the axe and do nothing with it, and I never hurt anyone, ever, even though I might be fantasizing about it, which, just to be clear, I <laughs> don't, uh, then this is not an overt act. There has to be more, right? Um, anyway, I want to know, how was Gilberto Valle caught, actually? I mean, how do we know about these chats he had with other wannabe murderers and cannibals on the Dark Fetish website? Well, his wife, Kathleen Mangan, started noticing that her husband was no longer interested in spending time with her and their child. Their little girl was, I think, about one years old at the time, and Gilberto was spending all night, every night, on his computer. 
He slept very little, went to work tired, and their relationship started deteriorating. And this is where my dubimeter alarms go off and all the red flags are up. I mean, I would have expected an affair or porn addiction, like regular porn, not I want to eat someone's ribs porn, though. <laughs> so the wife, seeing how Gilberto is spending every second of his life outside of work on his personal computer, installed spyware on it. Some kind of application that takes screenshots every five seconds and records your keystrokes. I don't think anyone in his circle of friends or family saw this coming, and I can't imagine what his wife must have felt when seeing that the father of her child actually offered her up to a Pakistani man to be cooked and eaten in one of his chats. He even sent that guy a photo of her. Mm. <laughs> I don't know, it's f***ing crazy, yeah. yeah. This is where it becomes really disturbing. He sent photos of women he knew, friends of his in real life to these other people on the dark fetish website. But then again, that's not illegal. These are not nude photos. It's immoral, it's disgusting, it's sick, but it's not illegal. You're right. That's the thing with this whole case. So do you have any of their chats, like the chats from this creepy website? I'm sure our listeners are curious to hear for themselves at least a sample of these conversations, as disturbing as they might be. Absolutely. Here's a small fragment. We'll have more later. Gilberto Valley's nickname online was mhal52. This is a short exchange with another user, BrendXD. Brace yourself and here we go. Planning on getting me some girl meat. Damn, she looks tender. I would like to get my hands on a stun gun. I can't do this. Oh my god. <laughs> okay, so let's read this in normal voice. Yeah, because creepy, we can't do creepy. It's too much. It's too much anyway, but let's try to get through it for our listeners. Gilberto, planning on getting me some girl meat. Damn, she looks tender. I would like to get my hands on a stun gun. Rape her, abuse her, debreast her, I hope. She will be trussed up like a turkey and slid into the oven while she is still alive. Her screams will be the sweetest music to my ears. Once she dies, I will pull her out and then properly butcher her. Ugh, like right now, I think I need a break right here. Cut, 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 please. <laughs> <laughs> you need a moment. Yes, please. Play the yoga and music. I need it for just five seconds. I am going back on everything I said, f*** it, put him in jail forever, that's my response after hearing this. It's an emotional response of course, but this is beyond disturbing. Right? That's how I felt too while researching and watching this subject. There's the cerebral, logical part of me that looks at the law and says, he can't go to jail for life for having horrific thoughts and fantasies. And then whenever I read this his conversations in these chat rooms, I'm like, lock this up forever. <laughs> Exactly. I mean, one can argue that people talk all kinds of stuff online and that everyone says things they don't really mean just to show off, you know. But one can also argue that the anonymity of being online under an alias reveals exactly who you are. And in this case, it's clear that his online discussions and activities show who he really is. Our boy Gilberto is all kinds of f***ed up. Correct. I feel the same. Then again, these are thoughts. He never kidnapped, butchered or ate anyone. He might have eaten someone, though, in his life. It would be weird if he hadn't, but not in the way we're discussing here. <laughs> Sandra. <laughs> we gotta <laughs> laugh on dubious, because with the stories we talk about here, we'd otherwise be crying. So. 
<laughs> but on a serious note, uh, these were thoughts, very ugly, sick thoughts, yes. But we don't prosecute people for thoughts. It comes down to this, basically. Was he fantasizing only or was there more evidence, enough evidence to show he was really planning to do this, kill women? And at what point is it legal to step in? Okay, well, let's look at the facts. Okay, let's. So investigators found 24 sets of conversations on his computer, all with the same few other people. All about kidnapping, cooking, raping, dismembering, and eating women. Very detailed conversations, graphic, ugh. But in 21 out of 24 of these conversations, these people Gilberto Valle was talking to said, hey, is this for real? Are you for real? And Gilberto said, no, this is a fantasy. No matter what I say, it's all make-believe. So that's 87.5% of his conversations in which he said it's all fantasy. I'd say statistically and looking at the laws of probability based on the numbers here, it does seem, I mean, it, it was fantasy, right? He said as much. Or because he was a cop, he knew and made sure he said in writing that it's all fantasy just to cover his ass in case he gets caught on these websites. Good point. But wouldn't he have said it's all fantasy every single time then? Right. That's the thing with this case. It's all gray area, back and forth. You can argue either side of the problem and be right. Yeah, exactly. That's true. But there was no actual real world attempt to kidnap anyone, much less a hundred women, as he said he wanted to. Reaching the number 100 is hard in any domain. <laughs> Took us almost a year to get 100 patrons, right? More! I mean, speaking of which, let's remind our listeners about our ad-free content. Yes, our listeners can claim all our episodes ad-free if they become patrons. Do be friends, if you want to support us and enable us to bring new content every week, please become a patron on dubiaspot.com or by clicking the link in the episode notes right here in the app you're listening to us in. It's cheaper than a fancy coffee and you get all our content ad-free. But, as you know by now, not drama-free. We love drama here. <laughs> drama is life. <laughs> <laughs> and life is drama. So we were talking about the facts in the Cannibal Cop case. One of the other users there asked Gilberto Valley to give him the address of one of the women in the photos. But Gilberto didn't give him her address. He and other users talked about meeting to plan the kidnappings and murders. They set dates, like exact dates, right? Those days came and passed. Vale never actually met anyone, never went to meet these people and co-conspire in real life or make preparations, like buy a murder kit or something. <laughs> but there's the other side of the coin, so to speak. At some point in these conversations, after he said it's a fantasy, he did say, I'm for real. I am just afraid of getting caught. If I were guaranteed to get away with it, I would do it. Definitely. Oh, I didn't doubt that for a minute. I mean, look, let's be honest here. If what gets you off is thoughts of eating human flesh and women's screams as they are being cooked alive, I have no f doubt you'd act on these impulses if you weren't afraid you'd get caught. But again, he didn't hurt anyone, so legally, meh. Like, emotionally, as I said, I'm like, put him in a cell and throw away the key, but legally, I don't see how life in prison would have been okay. Let's clarify how this went down in court for our listeners. Gilberto Valley was convicted by a jury in 2013 and could have faced a maximum sentence of life in prison, but a federal district court judge then overturned the conspiracy conviction, so only the conviction for using the police database to find the addresses of some of these women he knew personally remained. 
Yes, so Vale was convicted by a jury of conspiracy to commit kidnapping and for the use of the police database and violations of the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act, or CFAA, and the presiding judge, Paul Gardeff, however, acquitted Vale on the conspiracy charges, notwithstanding the verdict, ruling that the prosecution had not proven that Vale's online communications went beyond fantasy roleplay. And very important to mention here, motions for acquittal are almost never granted, which I think shows that this judge understands the law and saw that the jury, you know, f***ed up. Right. And the difference between fantasy and criminality will be made clear. There were others in this case, other people in those chat rooms that were put in prison because those guys really took the fantasy into real life. Little children were involved. They took actual real-world steps towards committing a crime. That legal thing we called overt action. We'll talk about those guys too. Yes, so on appeal, the United States Court of Appeals for the Second Circuit upheld the judge's judgment of acquittal and further ruled Valles' misuse of the police database did not constitute a violation of the CFAA, thus acquitting him of the lesser charge. Wait, so not even the misuse of police computer database was deemed legally wrong? No, because I think that would have opened the can of worms for all police people. I mean, how many of them do you think use that database to find out stuff about family members, people they date, neighbors? They would have to convict all policemen and all policewomen, I think. <laughs> true. <laughs> Very true. Yeah, plus the argument was made again that yes, he looked some women up in that database, but he never did anything with the info. And there's the principle of lenity, also called the rule of strict construction. This principle of criminal statutory interpretation explains that when a law is unclear or ambiguous, which was the case here, it seems, a court must apply the law in the manner that is most favorable to the defendant. So because he looked up a name, but that action had zero consequences in real life or anywhere for that matter, I don't know, was this an abuse of power? To have an abuse of any kind, you must have an abused person. So abuser and abusee, that's not the word, is it? <laughs> it is. Of course it is. Really? I guess I know more words than I thought I did. <laughs> I mean, I contain multitudes. <laughs> so, look, English is not my first language and abusee sounds like a totally made up word to me, to be honest. Anyway, point is there was no abused person, so to speak, other than his wife, I guess, who was obviously and understandably emotionally messed up for life. But he didn't find his wife's address in the police database. And the other women were disturbed to find out their photos were used by Vale online. But again, other than that, which sadly is legal, there is no actual abuse, not in criminal court anyways, maybe in a civil case for emotional distress, you know, all that stuff. I mean, that I can see that, but in a criminal court, it wouldn't have flown. Right, and I kind of agree with the rule of lenity in general. Let's not forget that our founding fathers, James Madison especially, who wrote the Bill of Rights, focused intensely on the rights of the accused. Very good point. Literally six out of our first ten amendments deal with search and arrest, rights in criminal cases, the right to a fair trial, rights in civil trials, bail and punishment, and other rights retained by the people, but not directly specified in the Constitution, for example. Those are the implied rights. And in fairness, I'd rather see a guilty man walk away scot-free than see an innocent person imprisoned. This is the basic principle around which most law is or should be operating. Not to say that we want guilty people to be free, obviously. But there's a reason why the phrase, 
beyond reasonable doubt exists. We've mm -hmm. had cases of people on death row who were killed. And then 20 years later, it turned out they were innocent. Yep. So our wannabe cannibal cop, one thing that stuck out during trial as potential overt act is that he did travel to Maryland to visit one of his potential victims, a woman who was a friend of his from college days. And that trip could be seen as a recon mission of sorts for a murderous kidnapping plot. That's what the prosecution argued. On the other hand, he visited five other people, you know, friends, and he was there with his wife and kid when he met with this woman, and he was with his wife and kid when he met all these other various people in Maryland. So that's what the defense said. He didn't go there specifically to see this one woman, and he didn't go alone. He went there to see a bunch of other people and family, friends, and so on. And he saw all those people on the same day. So again, murky. It's not beyond a reasonable doubt that this was a recon mission. The whole case, this entire story is made worse by him being a cop, a trustworthy figure, a person who is meant to protect people, especially women and children. And we know that freaks like to have jobs that give them easy access to victims, to prey, basically. Pedophiles become youth pastors or priests or Boy Scout instructors, whatever. Did he become a cop to be able to someday commit crimes with the lesser chance of being caught? That's the question. You have raised a very, very good point here. As a cop, he knows how forensic science works and he's up to date with the latest breakthroughs like touch DNA and stuff like that. So he could easily plot something in a way that makes him very hard to be caught or not get caught at all. <laughs> Unless you have a wife. <laughs> Sherlock Holmes has nothing on the wives. They find you anywhere. They discover everything. I agree. The best strategy is just to not try anything ever. It's a losing battle. By the way, what is touch DNA? There was a case where a woman arrived in the ER brought in by the ambulance, of course, and they collected DNA from her body. Uh, she had been attacked, right? And the only DNA they found was male DNA on her face, neck, and chest. And it turned out that the DNA was from one of the EMTs whose glove ruptured. And this guy's DNA got on the woman from doing, you know, CPR and all that stuff. So just from touching her skin with his palm. And he almost got arrested, I think. They did interrogate him. Uh, obviously, he was innocent. Everything was cleared. But that's touch DNA. It's not like saliva or semen or any body fluid, blood, and so on. That's why even with DNA, it's important to keep an open mind as a juror, for example, and differentiate between what kind of DNA was found where. Right. Most people assume that DNA is irrefutable evidence and can be, but also sometimes it's not. Exactly, because if we go to the beach together and I rub sunscreen all over you and then you get killed in your hotel room <laughs> while I'm alone in my hotel room watching Succession on HBO, a juror who thinks of DNA in absolute terms might think I'm guilty because my DNA was found all over you. Anyway, we're never watching Succession together. <laughs> no, <laughs> why did I scare you? <laughs> I just thought of an example. I didn't know what other example <laughs> to give <laughs> I know, creepy, I know. Anyway, what's really wrong with this case is that Gilberto Valle used photos and names of other women, including his wife. That's, I mean, that bothered me. And using the police database to track down addresses, even if he didn't use those addresses, that's a real crime in my eyes and such a breach of trust. I mean, he's a cop, he's supposed to protect people, and this shatters that whole social construct, you know? He goes from protector to predator, in my opinion, when he does this, in theory at least, because he never followed up on anything. But 
Yeah, he didn't harm anyone, but was this okay? No. Moreover, as a cop, all these discussions he had with people in that chat, for example with another guy, Moody Blues, show that he's willing to overlook a potential murder confession. And that is his exact job, to catch murderers, right? Right. Here's some of their exchanges. Moody Blues. If we get someone, after we finish the meet early, would you go for another? Yeah, I think we would have to give it time though. Why? Go for a completely different type. I'd love to eat another child. I also love roasting whole pelvises, mind you, only did with the little ones so far. <laughs> Again, I know the <sighs> setting. Yeah, it's this is hard to record. <laughs> I know the setting is that of, like, you know, the whole setting of this discussion was... Like, oh, we're fantasizing here. But still, as a policeman, Vale should have sent in an anonymous tip to the police, actually, about Moody Blues saying he already murdered a woman and child, because can you actually be sure that that guy is talking fantasy or not? No, you can't. So, I don't know, just to clarify, this Moody Blues guy told Gilberto Vale that he hasn't killed and eaten anyone until he turned 35. I mean, at that point, Gilberto Vale should have, as a cop, I don't know. You have an obligation, right? Ugh. Gilberto Valley also suggests a woman named Kimberly would be easy prey because she lived alone. He typed out, I can knock her out, wait until dark, and kidnap her right out of the house. And then Moody Blues suggested eating their victims alive, but Valley responded, I'm not really into raw meat. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just <laughs> I mean, this can't be real. I mean, they also discussed cooking Kimberly, um, one of their potential victims, basted in olive oil over an open fire and using her severed head as a centerpiece for a sit-down meal. So yes, again, my feelings are ah, very antithetic on this case. I have the legal argument thoughts. And then I have the prison for life thoughts. <laughs> I have them too. I mean, it's really hard to see this guy and the other people in this chat room as innocent. They're describing insane and cruel things that get them off. So yeah, it's fucked up and you can't help but seeing Valley and the others as guilty. Yeah, one other reason, and I forgot to mention this earlier, one other reason why I think he's not lying though when he said this was all fantasy is that he was describing his basement and telling all these other men that he has a massive industrial size oven in there and you can cook and roast a whole woman in it. In reality, his basement was a benign, ordinary, like a tiny laundry room, so... <laughs> <laughs> I guess the crux of the issue here is he initially got convicted on a what-if idea. What if he's actually going to act on these impulses and what if he goes ahead and kidnaps and murders someone? That's exactly our fear too. Yeah, it is. And we feel the same way. We don't prosecute and convict people based on how we feel and what-ifs. The jury convicted based on an emotional response. The truth is there is no actual evidence. That being said, do I like the guy? No. Is he a degenerate, deeply f***ed up, disgusting individual? Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, he is. On the other hand, I can understand why the jury convicted him. I mean, I can't... It's so hard. Like, what if he actually kills someone? And then we're going to be looking back and say, well, we could have stopped this. As we just said, we get the concern. It's very hard, but we all watched Minority Report and thought police is not a good idea. We have laws for a reason as much as we hate this guy. Let's say it, we hate him. But legally, that judge who overturned his conviction was right. That mental image of Kimberly's head as a table centerpiece is still haunting me, though. Who the f*** thinks like that? 
That's so Game of Thrones, barbaric. <laughs> it is. It's very Game of Thrones, honestly. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. There's the storytelling argument too. For example, that Gilberto's defense teammate. There is actual evidence to show that he had an online friend on that website, and they were thinking together of working together and like writing a fiction stories, you know, in collaboration. Obviously, sick, messed up. And in fact, he wrote a book after his release from prison after the two years he served, I guess trying to cash in on this whole scandal. But you mentioned Game of Thrones. That's a good example also when it comes to the storytelling argument. I mean, look, Stephen King wrote all kinds of disturbing And he obviously has to imagine and think about that stuff. His mind generated that stuff and he's not in jail, right? I mean, I know it's a stretch, but I'm just saying. Also, the scriptwriter of Saw, you know, that horror movie franchise that depicts horrific torture and entrapments and insane devices that mutilate and maim people and so on. Whoever wrote that script or the book that script is based on, imagine that stuff like in detail, right? In graphic detail. You don't imagine something like that unless you have an affinity for such torture. Let's be honest. I mean, should we put those script writers in prison? That's the thing with this case. What is the line where fantasy goes into reality? It would be interesting to look into the psychology of cannibalism. Did anything in his childhood cause these impulses, this predilection for potentially cooking and eating human meat? He said in his press interviews that his father was strict, but not violent or abusive. His mom was affectionate and loving. At first, from what we could find, it doesn't seem that he had much of a different early life than the rest of people growing up in the 70s and 80s. Not that you'd know, you're young, so... (laughs) (laughs) Hey, you weren't around in the 70s and not even in the early 80s either, so what's your point? Fine, thank you for making me feel better (laughs) about my age. Much appreciated. (laughs) You're welcome, Sandra. Oh, and uh, before we forget... You said something about some other users on darkfetish.com who went to prison, like they were convicted? Yes. So there are three people, a mechanic from New Jersey named Michael Van Hees. This one was sentenced to seven years in prison for plotting to kidnap and torture various women in his family. Do be friends, I can hear you already saying, well, it's the same as Gilberto Valle. Not really. Wait a second, because Van Hees met with another guy, a librarian named Christopher Ash, and they actively looked for places to dump bodies in real life. Van Heys also had two nieces. One was nine years old, a girl, and the other girl was one year old. He gave Ash photos of the kids. Van Heys then emailed Richard Meltz, a former police chief at the Massachusetts Veterans Administration Medical Center, asking if Meltz would help him quote-unquote do his sister-in-law and the minor children. Wait, another police guy? (laughs) I know, right? insane. Predators usually like to have jobs like policeman, librarian, youth pastor, as you said earlier. Turns out to be so true in this case. But about the minors, the kids are from 9 to 1, Van Heist told Meltz, adding that he wanted to, quote, rape and hang the 9-year-old and keep the 1-year-old as a sex slave. Again, all these guys went beyond just fantasizing. They met, you know, photos of minors in different stages of undress were involved and exchanged. And that in itself is obviously illegal. These guys were not just wannabe cannibals and, you know, crazy people. They're pedophiles. So they actually met in real life. That's the overt action right there. And they tried to find places where the bodies wouldn't be found. It all went beyond online chatting. They took that extra step. Yeah. Plus children were involved here. So that on its own is a massive difference. Ash is serving a 15 year sentence while Meltz has been sentenced to 10 years in the clink. Van Heist got seven years. 
The same judge that overturned Valley's conviction said Mr. Van Heis's conduct went beyond mere talk. But he said he was giving Van Heis a lower sentence than Ash and Meltz because Van Heis was only 22 years old at the time of these horrible, sickening interactions and because he agreed to cooperate with the FBI when they came and knocked his door down. Yeah, that seems correct. I can see the logic in that decision. We both read so much about this case. We also watched that documentary on HBO or HBO Max, Max, whatever the heck they're called. The documentary is Thought Crimes, The Case of the Cannibal Cop. Yes, we highly recommend the documentary. It's actually very good. The point is, I feel like we've barely scratched the surface. There's so much more to be discussed. Like, for example, should people who have these urges immerse themselves in talking to others so realistically about their sick fantasies? I mean, Valley's lawyer said this was his way of coping with the reality of what turns him on. Basically, like, we watch porn, he did this. But as we all know, when we watch porn, if we're not alone in the house, we'll want to have sex with our partner or partners, <laughs> whoever is there with us, given that they matched our gender preference and everything we do is obviously consensual, right? Mm -hmm. And most of the time, we act on it. <laughs> As we should. I mean, it's normal. Look, it's like eating when hungry, drinking when thirsty. Yeah. Exactly. So the question arises, when Valley fantasized about cooking and eating his wife and spending nights on end thinking and describing ways of roasting women on spits and whatever the f*** else, <laughs> did all this fantasizing make him more likely to act on it or less likely? Good question. You told me something about the study you read when we talked on the phone about this case. Right. I almost forgot. There's a case report on the psychopathological profile of cannibalism, and from what I understand, the patients described in this study fall into two subgroups, suffering either from severe schizophrenia or from a mixed personality disorder with sadistic and psychopathic features associated with paraphilia. Yes, so it's a mental thing. Also, I did a fast Google, uh, that's a Google search, by the way, <laughs> about, about what paraphilia means, a condition characterized by abnormal sexual desires involving extreme or dangerous activities. So basically, it comes down to, would a psychologist or psychiatrist say Gilberto Valle is okay, and it's okay for him to keep feeding this fantasy he has? See what I did there with feeding? <laughs> oh, I see. <laughs> well, that's the weird thing. There's this guy, Park Dietz. He's a forensic psychiatrist, one of the best, if not the best in the world. He interviewed and assessed many serial killers, and this guy said Gilberto Valley is harmless. Dietz usually testifies for the prosecution, but in this case, he testified for the defense, and he said, in my opinion, there is no reliable evidence to suggest that his erotic conversations could reasonably be construed as conspiratorial plans rather than the conversations were an end in themselves. But this only clears the legal part. I still think there's something psychologically wrong with this guy. Obviously, I think because we're not doctors, you know, we can't say for sure if medically, mentally, there is something wrong with Gilberto. But show me one pedophile sex offender program, for example, or rehabilitation program that tells patients to go on the Internet and cope with their deviant sexual ideation about cannibalism by engaging in chats about cannibalism. I mean... Being in those chat rooms and looking at those websites is not really a good way to cope with the urges. I don't think there's any psychologist out there who would prescribe that to a patient and say, go online and fantasize some more about your, you know, cannibalistic predilection. In fact, I think going online and engaging like that actually excites those urges. I agree. I would say that nobody can predict the extent of causality or even that the causality exists between fantasy online and acting out those fantasies in real life later. 
we can't assume that fantasy means people will enact a behavior, but in the same vein, you can't rule out that possibility either. Very well said. We don't know. Nobody does except Gilberto Valle and others like him. So what's your dubimeter level for this episode? Scale of 1 to 10. I think I'll go with 10+. plus. It's crazy, disgusting, scary, but this is a fascinating case from all points of view. And, you know, as a topic of discussion, when it comes to fantasy and reality, it's really interesting to talk about this. I mean, imagine a screen with a red line down the middle. The left side is what's legal and the right side is criminal. Gilberto Valle walked that line. Not only that, imagine zooming in on that line. He walked all the way to the far end of the right side of that line. Like he walked <laughs> the very edge of the edge of what's legal. And because he did it as a policeman who knew how far the limit of the law stretches, it's even more interesting. That's why this case is fascinating, because even now, despite the fact that I know legally he's in the clear, I can argue against that and believe what I'm saying too. So my dubimeter for the cannibal cop is 10+. plus. What's your dubimeter level? I'm also thinking 10+. plus. It's one of the craziest cases I've ever heard so far, and they actually teach this in law school. Oh, and people might be wondering, we didn't mention, but it is kind of implied... Gilberto Valle's wife divorced him, he lost custody battle for his daughter, and then he wrote a book. Of course he did. <laughs> and he's having trouble dating. No <laughs> He also involved himself in the Army Hammer case. We should do an episode about that guy too. He's hot. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's why that guy's an actor, I guess. I don't think it's his immeasurable talent, but he's also a wannabe cannibal, allegedly. So despite the fact that no trial happened there, ARMY is troubled to say the least. Most hot guys are, but not to that extent. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I'm kidding, but also not kidding. As a hot guy, I say thank you. <laughs> and I think that's all we've got for today. So if you like us, please recommend us to your friends and family. Yes, please do. Personal recommendations are the best recommendations. We are at DubiousPod on all social media. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week. We love you, Dubie friends. Stay dubious. <laughs>